Hello, thanks for tuning in to the West Side Podcast. This is where we're going to be posting some of the audio from our gatherings on Sundays, and we're hoping to develop some other content that we're excited to share with you in the future. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus, step by step. And we really hope that this podcast helps you do just that. We hope it helps you get closer to Jesus. We hope that you would be reconciled to God and not only that, be reconciled to the relationships around you and to the city that you live in, wherever that happens to be. Again, thanks for tuning in and enjoy. We are starting a new sermon series tonight um, on the book of Colossians. It's a New Testament letter uh, that Paul wrote uh, to a church in Colossae. And today is going to be like a really big introduction to the book of Colossians. And I've been excited for this night and excited for this sermon series. So, Corinne, will you read the scripture for us tonight? Absolutely. Today's scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. This letter is from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved coworker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live your life will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every good kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you'll be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This is God's word. Um. Excited to begin the book of, of Colossians. And tonight's kind of the introduction. And it's important that we talk about the context because context is really, really important. Don't you agree? Um, the word, when you say, I'm sorry, and when you say, my bad, those mean the same thing unless you're at a funeral. All right? You got to be careful because context is really, really important. You need to understand the context. And so what we often do with the Bible sometimes is when we don't understand the context, we get dropped into a, a book of the, of, of the Bible or dropped into a particular verse. And then it's easy if we don't understand the context to twist it and make it say exactly what we want it to say. And so, you know, when, when, we, read, uh, when we read Paul writing and saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, that is not a verse for you to help you get a parking space. It's not a verse to help us win football games. Um, that's not what that 
verse is designed for at all. Um, it's, actually, it's actually talking about contentment. You have to understand the context of the verse. And this is one of the reasons why scripture often through the centuries has gotten twisted and morphed. It's one of the reasons why people push back on Christianity because they say, man, weren't the Christians the one that owned slaves? And like, didn't a lot of people condone slavery? You know, because the Bible talks about it. And it's like, oh yeah, sure they did. But they did because they were taking verses out of context and they were twisting scripture. And we never want to do that with the Bible. And so as we enter into just taking a bunch of weeks and uh, talking about the, the, this letter that Paul writes to the Colossian church, um, it's important that we look at the context. And so um, a couple things, it's going to be the place, the people, the problem, and the purpose. All right. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it all starts with P tonight. This message is brought to you by the letter P, all right? Um, first, the place, all right? The place. Um, we, when we're talking about this, the town of Colossae, it's, we're not talking about Narnia here. This is a real place, all right? This is a real place. Um, there's Colossae. You can visit it today. In fact, the next slide, it shows us you could go there and you could see some of the ruins um, there in Colossae. And uh, remember the movie 300? You remember that movie? Uh, so, you know, where, they, where King Leonidas, you know, and the Greeks were... It was the 300 of them, and they, they held off King Xerxes. Yeah, King Xerxes came through Colossae on his way down to that battle. Um, it was a very well-known place because where it's situated, it was like the wool capital of the world at the time because of you know the, the fields and everything. There was a lot of sheep there, and they had a special flower there that didn't bloom anywhere else that enabled them to dye wool a certain color purple that was so vibrant and so rich. And, and, and so they were really, really well-known for their attire uh, for their clothing. Colossae would have been the place that if you're swinging through, you're going to pick up some swag on your way to the next place because they were just into it. They were into fashion. It was a very kind of spiritual place. It was, it was a place where they were into, into, you know, just like art, you know, art artisans and, you know, people that were just interested in making things. Um, this was that sort of a place in the empire. Next is the people. Uh, the people uh, in, this, in, this, uh, in this context, Colossians was written by Paul with the assistance of Timothy while under house arrest in Rome. Okay, so this, this book, this letter was written right around 60, 62 AD. And it was written to a church in Colossae started by a guy named Epaphras, okay? Um, Epaphras was, he encountered Paul when he was in Ephesus. So there's Colossae, but then not too far away is Ephesus. It's about a hundred miles away. It's the distance between like Eugene and um, and Crater Lake. All right, it's about that much distance away. So kind of a long journey if you don't have a car, but it's that far away. And Epaphras, this guy, meets Paul when Paul is in Ephesus. Paul is traveling around. He's spreading the news of the good news of Jesus. Jesus, everything happened down there in in Jerusalem. You see it at the bottom of the map, and then from there it just spread out. People were just because they saw. Jesus alive and Jesus uh, was was with them and then and then the Holy Spirit came on them and so they were just empowered to go share this great news that God loves them and that they're not saved by their moral performance but they're saved just by God's grace that he gives it's the best news that a human being can hear and so uh, and so the news spreads and Paul one of the greatest uh, one of the greatest missionaries he's going to all these different places starting churches and and he goes to Ephesus, and uh, where he starts out is in the synagogue. And you can read about all this in the book of Acts in the New Testament. 
talks about all these things that happened with the early church. But Paul's in Ephesus and he starts in the Jewish synagogue. He starts with them first. He says, hey, um, I want to tell you that this Jesus is the Messiah you've been waiting for. But what we know about what happens in Ephesus is, and it happens in so many places, he goes there, there's some opposition, he gets kicked out. So what is he going to do? Where is he going to meet? Well, we know from Acts chapter 19 that he goes and he finds this guy, Tyrannus. We're not, we don't know really anything about this guy, but what we do know is that this guy had like uh, a school and, and they would use the school, to, uh, the, the school would be used by other people in the morning, but then Paul would use the school in the afternoon. It was called Paul's School of Tyrannus. And he would rent this space out and people would come from all over just to sit down with Paul, talk to Paul. We know that this was a very inconvenient time. They had siestas back then. It was very hot. And so you would do your work. Paul would probably be making tents in the morning. And then he would go to the school of Tyrannus in the afternoon when everybody else is kind of supposed to be on siesta, when the school wasn't being used because it wasn't the peak time. Paul was meeting there. He was renting that space out and it went very well. It went very well. In fact, Acts tells us that the whole region just heard about Jesus because people were coming left and right. Here's what I love about this is because, hmm, Paul is renting space and he's meeting at a kind of a non-traditional church time. I wonder, what, what, does that remind you of anything or anybody? Yeah, and it goes very, very well. And, uh, and, so, and so Epaphras, what we know about Epaphras is Epaphras is there, a part of that ministry. Epaphras, apparently his life has just changed. And Epaphras is from Colossae. And so Epaphras decides to go back to Colossae and start a church. So he goes back to his hometown and he's like, hey, I've got some good news about Jesus. And so what happens is Paul is, is uh, you know, Epaphras goes back to Colossians and, and, he's, and he's starting this church. Things are going well at first, but he runs into some difficulty. He runs into some hard things because pastoring a church, just leading any human beings is, is hard, you know? And so he runs into some things that are really challenging. And so at this point, he's like, man, I need, Paul's, I need Paul to give me some advice. Um, so if you could put up that map uh, of Rome, because at this point, when Epaphras needs some help. Paul is not anywhere close. Now Paul is in Rome and Paul is in prison in Rome. And so Epaphras makes the long trip to Rome to sit down with Paul. Paul's under house arrest, but he's allowed to get visitors. And so Epaphras comes and he sits down with Paul and he's like, Paul, I've got some questions. Man, this is really difficult. What would you do about this? What would you do about this? And what would you do in this situation? How would you handle this? And so, you know, Paul's listening to him, giving him some advice. And, uh, and so Epaphras makes the long, long trek back. He feels like, okay, I got, some, I got some good stuff from Paul. But then Paul, from prison, along with the, Timothy's help, he decides to write this letter and he's gonna send it to Colossae. Because these are kind of like the names of the, of the people that we'll encounter as we read this New Testament letter together. Paul and Timothy are in Rome and they're sending this letter with a couple messengers. But he sends these messengers with this letter and, he, and the letter makes its way all the way to Colossae, to Epaphras and Philemon, who's one of, the, one of the members at that church and the rest of the people of the church at Colossae. This is how they get this letter that Paul writes to them. Um, and he, what's the problem? Here's the next one. What's the problem? What's going on at this church is that things started out good, but then they started to drift. Things started out well, but then things just started to drift. Have you ever been to the beach? Remember, think about when you were a kid and you went to the beach 
And remember what would happen at the beach? I think we've all had this experience. You, uh, you go to the beach and you set your towel and you, and you, you, you know, you're, maybe you got a big umbrella and then you lay your towel down and you have your cooler and you have like all the other stuff that you're going to need for your day at the beach. And then, you know, the kids just don't care about that much. They just like make a beeline for the water, you know? So the kids run down. Imagine being a kid, you're at the beach, you run down to the water and you're just playing in the water. You're playing in the water. You're playing in the water. And then do you remember this would happen? After like an hour of playing in the water, you turn back to make sure that mom's back there and the, you know, the towel and all your stuff, you turn back and look and guess what? It's not there. Why? Because something happens in the ocean. It causes you to like slowly drift down the beach, doesn't it? This is what happens. You, without you even knowing, I mean, you don't feel like you have drifted at all, but it just happens because that's what happens just with the nature of the waves. It kind of pushes you little by little. And then pretty soon you look back and you're like, oh no, the rapture happened. That's what I thought when I was a kid. I was like, oh no, I've been left behind. But no, 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 you just got to look up the beach and it's like, oh, I drifted just happens. This happens with like with every organization. Think about the, the organization that you work for, um, whatever that is. It started with a purpose. Probably it started with a visionary, you know, like, hey, w- this is important. The world needs this. And it started with a lot of passion and vigor and, and, uh, and direction. But you know what happens over time to every organization? Drift. Just things start to drift and you lose sight of why you're doing it in the first place. And then, you know, it's kind of those big things just kind of tend to, tend, tend to leak over time. And so what happened at the church in Colossae is that there was just a lot of pressures. There was a lot of, a lot of uh, undercurrents, a lot of waves that were slowly just starting to, to just move the church away from being centered and anchored on Jesus and towards other things. As people just start just importing things. The message kind of gets diluted. The message, things get added to the message over time. And suddenly it's just, you're there. And, and just now like the gospel isn't the main thing anymore. Now there's all these other secondary things that have become the main thing. We've all experienced that, haven't you? Have you ever been in a, in a small group that has gone south? Don't raise your hand, not at Westside. Okay, not at our church. No, no. Um, have you ever been a part of a group where it's just like it started out really strong and then just, I don't know, over time, somebody starts, then somebody shares this and then you get sidetracked and somebody comes in and says, no, I think we should do this. And then pretty soon just loses it. This is what's been happening at the church. And so here's the problem. This is what Paul is gonna address is that there's three undercurrents that Paul is addressing in this church that are still undercurrents today that we have to be careful of, that we don't drift away from. Three undercurrents. And the theme of all three of them is this, is that it's this theme that this, Jesus isn't enough. Jesus isn't enough. That's kind of the main theme. This, under, this main undercurrent is that just trying to convince us that Jesus isn't enough. We need something else besides Jesus to make us right with God. And there's three things. The first, the first current is legalism. You've probably heard that phrase before. But in Christianity, what, that, what legalism means is that it's this idea that no, Jesus' finished work on the cross wasn't enough to pay for your sins. You have to earn it in a way. You have to make sure that you follow this rule tool, this rule as well, and this rule too, and this rule and this rule. And there's always people sort of coming in and saying like, oh, hey, you didn't hear about this rule? Oh yeah, if you really wanna be a good person, if you really wanna be a good Christian, you gotta do this too. You gotta do this too. You gotta do this too. This happens all the time. This happens, this happens all, not just in church, it happens everywhere else. In fact, every other world religion has all sorts of rules that if you need to follow those rules, and if you don't follow those rules, then you're not going to have a good relationship with God. Every other world religion has those. Christianity is the only one 
that has a different message. Christianity is the only one that says, that says, no, 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 it's not about us following rules. That's not the thing that makes us right with God. The thing that makes us right with God is that Jesus knew that we couldn't make things right with God based on our performance. And so he came and performed for us. So he came and bared that weight for us. That's why the cross is so important. What we owe to, the, to, the, to God, we couldn't pay. And so Jesus paid and carried that burden for us. And so if we just put our faith and our trust in that, that is enough. Now, are there things that we need to do? Sure, sure, because he's called us into a new life. He's called us into something better, but his love for us isn't based on how well we perform. His love for us is based on the fact that we are his sons and daughters. That is great news. And legalism tries to rob us of it. Legalism comes in and says, oh no, Jesus isn't enough. You gotta speak in tongues. Oh, Jesus is enough. You need to, be, you need to, you need to get water baptized. You know, Jesus isn't enough. Oh, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. And pretty soon it's just layers upon layers upon layers of all sorts of stuff. You never really know if you're good enough. The next one is kind of spirituality, vague spirituality. It also says Jesus isn't enough. It says, no, you don't need just Jesus. Jesus is fine, but you know what else you need? You need some crystals. You need some, you know, you need a special necklace, you know, or you need, oh, you know, there's, there's hierarchies. And so what we know about the church in Colossae is there were some people, some false teachers coming in and saying, oh, sure, Jesus is great, but also we need to worship the angels too. And so there was this kind of like angel worship stuff going on where it's like, hey, are, you know, are you like a, like a, uh, um, you know, a Michael sort of a person or are you a Gabriel sort of person, you know, like, oh, you know, Gabriel's, you know, this and Michael's this and there's these hierarchies and people came up with all sorts of different things and people were slowly being pushed away from Jesus is enough to believing that Jesus wasn't enough. I need to follow these rules and I need to worship these angels. Now I need to do this. Oh, I need to do this. I need to believe in this. And slowly but surely, it just the message gets diluted. That's what happens today too. I'm amazed at how many Christians believe this idea of karma, even though you wouldn't call it karma, but we still just like it, it inches its way into our Christianity, you know, where you're driving and you get a flat tire and you're like, God, why? I read my Bible this morning. Like I, I read my Bible. I'm not, I shouldn't get a flat tire. Like God, I, here's the deal is I read my Bible. Then I'm, you make sure I don't get flat tires, you know? And it's this weird idea that like, you know, if we do this and God's going to do this. And if we do good here, then God's going to, you know, it's just all this sort of weird stuff that sometimes just works its way and convinces us that Jesus isn't enough. And the last one is Gnosticism. It's, I know that's not a word that, that maybe we use a lot, but it's a word that basically means special knowledge. So it's not only just special works like legalism is, and it's not just spirituality, like kind of special spiritual stuff that we're supposed to do. But Gnosticism is this idea that we need to know that there's special wisdom. There's like deep, deep wisdom that you need, you need to attain in order for you to kind of be really close to God. And so there was this whole group of people that would come into the church in Colossae and be like, oh yes, this Jesus stuff is nice, but, but I've got special wisdom. You know, like I've, I've, I've been to the third heaven and God's shown me all sorts of things, you know? And so you need to listen to me because I've got the, I've got the inside track and people would come in and start sharing some of that stuff and slowly but surely the church would drift away. And so one of the Paul's aims is he's trying to address these drifts. He's trying to address this idea all throughout this letter that, that yes, Jesus is enough. Don't be deceived 
by hollow philosophies that try to push you away from Jesus. Don't be deceived, Paul says in this letter. He says, be really, really careful. And so what's his purpose? Here's the last P, Um, the purpose. Um, Here's what's cool about this letter is, I really believe this, is oftentimes God doesn't tell you what to do. He tells you who you are. You notice that? Oftentimes God doesn't, tell you what to do. He tells you who you are. We, it would be, you know, sometimes we expect to open up our Bible. And have you ever had those moments where you're like, God, what am I supposed to do? Should I marry her? Should I not marry her? I don't know. And then you take the Bible and you kind of like flip it and, you know, like see what page it lands on. And maybe God's going to speak to you that way. Sometimes we're just hoping that God's going to tell us what to do. And that would be nice, you know, if God always told us what to do. Sometimes he does that, by the way. You should pray. One of the, the phrases, one of the phrases that I like to say is we pray humbly, but proceed boldly. We pray humbly because sometimes God's going to show you exactly what you should do. And so you should ask for that. You should pray humbly. God, show me. But a lot of times, have you noticed? I mean, this is what's happened in my life is is that God doesn't always just tell me what I'm supposed to do. But what he's more interested in is telling me who I am. When he tells me who I am in him, when he tells me who I am in him, then suddenly now like the, the... the field becomes more clear. I, I, I know now kind of what I'm supposed to do because I know more about who I am. And this is what Paul is really trying to do with this church in Colossae. He's trying to connect them to the risen Christ so that they would know who they are in Christ. And you're gonna see that phrase throughout Colossians over and over again, in Christ, in Christ. He says, you are in Christ. And he's trying to help show them, not just tell them what to do, but he's trying to show them who Jesus is and who they are because of who Jesus is and then therefore that opens up a whole new world of possibilities for them to walk in the ways of Jesus. And so well, here's the, the purpose. Um, three things. Uh, number one, he wants to give them a vision of faithfulness to the person and to the work of Jesus. Just a vision of faithfulness. It's one of the big aims of this book. Um, he says, you know, he wants them to know that Jesus, you don't need legalism because Jesus is the one true work. You don't need Gnosticism because Jesus is the one true wisdom. Once you get Jesus, it's enough. And next week, AJ and Quinn are just gonna dive into one of the most beautiful passages that you're gonna find all throughout scripture. The second half of Colossians chapter one is poetic It's beautiful and it's all about the magnificence and the supremacy of Jesus. He's gonna say Jesus is the very image of God, verse 15. He's gonna say that Jesus is the creator, verse 16. Jesus is the preexistent sustainer of all things, verse 17. Jesus is the head of the church, verse 18. Jesus is the first to be resurrected. He's the precursor for what resurrection life is gonna look like. Jesus is the fullness of deity in bodily form, that's verse 19. Jesus is the one who reconciles all things to God, verses 20 through 21. Basically, Paul's trying to get them to understand that he's like talking to the Colossians and he's like, hey, if you think you've, you've maxed out Jesus, like if you think that you've gotten to the end of like what Jesus is and what he's done and who he is, and now you like need some extra stuff, now you need some angel stuff, now you need some more special wisdom, now you need some like more Christian-y stuff, he goes, he goes you're, you're missing it because you can never get to the bottom of Jesus. You can never max Jesus out. There's always more to discover. There's always more to surrender to. And so Jesus is trying to give them a vision of what faithfulness looks like to Jesus. Next is he wants to give them a vision of the freedom that Jesus gives us. A vision of the freedom 
that Jesus gives us. We're free from legalism. We're free from secular ideologies. In Colossians chapter two, verses eight, we'll get to this in a couple of weeks. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. What is hollow philosophy? It, it looks really great on the outside. It looks really, really great on the outside, but then you get into it and it's it's empty. He says, be so careful that you're not deceived by things that just, oh, it looks like, oh, it's going to offer you everything that you wanted, but you're going to leave Jesus behind because, oh, this thing offers something better that Jesus can. He says, be really careful because those things are hollow. He says, be careful that you don't, you're not taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Next is this, he wants, lastly, he just wants to give them a vision of formation as disciples of Jesus, a vision of formation that we are formed in him. Colossians chapter one, verses 27, 28, at the very end of this chapter, it says, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that, and get this, that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ, fully formed. He wants to give us a picture of what it looks like that the Lord wants to form us. He wants to transform us so that we will be made new, so that we can live different lives, so that we can, so we can go out into the world being transformed and living living in the ways of Jesus as Jesus um, has paved the way for us to do. So um, I'm, I'm near the end. I, two things I want us to do, all right? Just as we start, this is just an introduction, right? As we're gonna go and just take some weeks and look at the book of Colossians, but here's just a couple things. Two things I want you to do. Number one is this, is would you consider just reading the book of Colossians? Would you do that? Just read the book of Colossians. Do you know how long it's gonna take you to read through the four chapters of the book of Colossians? Maybe like eight minutes. <laughs> it's gonna take you about eight minutes. Um, if you're a slow reader, maybe uh, 14 minutes, okay? There's, a, there's some dense parts, you know? And there's like, oh, what is he saying? You might need to read a couple times around. So hey, you know, tops, 20 minutes. That's how long it's gonna take you to read the book of Colossians, this letter that Paul wrote. And how cool would it be just like over this sermon series, you just read it, read it a couple times, read it over and over again. I think you're gonna, every time you read it, you're just gonna say, oh my gosh, I've never seen that. Oh my goodness, like, oh, wow. And it's just gonna open up some things. And so I just imagine the pastor encouraging people to read the Bible, all right? This is what I'm encouraging you to do. What if, you, maybe you don't know what else to read. What if you just say, you know what? Over like, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna read the book of Colossians. I'm gonna sit down and you can read it in chunks. That's a really, that's a fine way to do it. But there's something really cool about when you just read the whole thing, just read the whole letter. Just imagine exactly it was, it was like when, when, uh, when those messengers came and arrived at the church and they said, hey, we've got a letter from Paul. And they just read it. They read it aloud to the people in the church. How cool, what a, what a cool moment that was. What if you just read it exactly like they read it to the church? So I'm encouraging you, would you consider just reading the book of Colossians? And then number two is, would you let Colossians just breathe fresh life? Just breathe fresh life into you. I'm always so encouraged by this. Remember, Corinne read this. It's from chapter six, or verse six from chapter one. It said, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere 
by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Paul says that this truth is going out all over the world and it's bearing fruit. You know why I read that verse again? Is because whenever I read Paul's, uh, Paul's prison letters, I'm just, I'm struck by something. Remember, Paul's in, under house arrest and he's writing this letter and he's sending it with some messengers and they're heading off on a long journey all the way to the city of Colossae, so far away. And imagine Paul, he's writing this letter, he puts it in the hands of those messengers and it gets sent off. We don't know if Paul ever knew if that letter made it. We have no idea if he knew. I mean, imagine being Paul. You send the letter off and then you wonder, man, I, I, hope, I hope it's gonna bear fruit. I hope it's gonna get there. I hope it's not intercepted and just tossed into a pile somewhere, forgotten. He's just hoping that it's gonna get there. Can you imagine the head trip that Paul would have if he walked into church today and he heard us reading from his letter that he wrote to the church in Colossae? How, see, Paul had no idea. Paul had no idea that his letter would be read by people in Eugene, Oregon in 2021 and that it's continuing to bear fruit. It's continuing to proclaim, proclaim the gospel. It's continuing to transform lives, just like he wrote. He says, the gospel's going out and bearing fruit. And he, it's like, Paul, you had no idea. You had no idea. Look, here we are, and we're reading this letter and people's lives are continuing to be changed. I, I, I take great encouragement from that because, because just when you think your life is not bearing fruit, you just have no idea. Take great comfort in this, that you might be in a season where you're like, is what I'm doing matter? Is my faithfulness to Jesus, does he see it? Is my faithfulness to Jesus, like, is it gonna bear fruit? Is it gonna like pay off at some point? Like, is, like is, does all of this matter? Should I just give up? Should I just lay it down? Should I just follow some other philosophy? I mean, we're all tempted to just, to, to just decide, you know what, I don't know if I see the results. And so, you know what, I'm gonna try something else. And the encouragement that I have for you is would you let Colossians just breathe fresh life into your spirits tonight? Because I don't know what's gonna happen in the future, but I know what the gospel can do. I know what the gospel can do. It transforms hearts. It transforms lives. Your faithfulness, your faithfulness, don't, don't ever stop. Don't stop. Even if you don't see the results, you never know. You never know what God's up to behind the scenes. Don't give up. Don't surrender. Um, band, can you come back up and we're, we're gonna respond. Um, and I just wanna share this one last thought because this has been in my spirit for a couple months now. I've been holding on to this and I keep thinking about it. But um, people ask me, all the time nowadays. Um, and kind of we're all wondering too, like what's the future of church after COVID? And is there ever gonna be an after COVID, <laughs> you know? People ask me all the time, what's the future of church? Like what, what are we gonna do? I mean, things have shifted so much. And so like, what, what does it look like in the future? And, um, you know, I, I wonder some of the same things. I think about that. And so I was talking to a friend of mine, a, a, a guy in our church, and uh, who's just lived a lot of life and, you know, and he came to Jesus, he met Jesus just kind of like um, in the late 60s, early 70s. And, 
Um, and I was talking to him a couple months ago and we were talking about this, like, what's the future of church, you know? And, and I was kind of just conveying to him just some of the crazy things that have happened this last year and just, you know, like, oh my gosh, there's so much happened. And, uh, you know, I was telling him like, man, with everything that happened this last year with, with you know, obviously COVID, but then there was the election, that was kind of crazy. And then the Black Lives Matter, you know, stuff. And that was all confusing and, you know, just, just navigating. There was just so much stuff. And so I was conveying to him, I was like, hey, that was crazy year last year, right? And he was like, he was like yeah, it was crazy, but it wasn't like the 60s. <laughs> and I was like, really? Like, Beach Boys, you know, like Summer of Love, like 60s. He's like, dude, you have no idea what the 60s were like. He says, you, you, you want to talk about political unrest and political suspicion? Yeah, I'll tell you about the 60s. I'll tell you about just the angst against just political forces and just the whirlwind of everything. He goes, he goes, you, you, he goes, you want to talk about Afghanistan? I'll talk to you about Vietnam. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about just the craziness that that was. And, oh, and you're, and you're looking at, you know, and, and he was saying, hey, and like, you know, there's a lot of sexual confusion in our world. Like today, he goes, let me talk to you about the 60s. Let me talk to you just about just, just the, what the, the boundaries that people were pressing and the, the places that people were going because they thought it was going to be the thing. He goes, you want to talk about like, like racial unrest? Let me talk to you about the 60s. Let me talk to you about when Martin Luther King was assassinated. Let me talk to you about that. I mean, he's just like telling me about the 60s and about the craziness of the 60s. And he told me all about it. And then I was like, all right, touche, touche. And then he said this, and it's been haunting me ever since. He said, he said, you know what happened after that? The Jesus movement. the Jesus movement, because people pushed every boundary because they thought it would be satisfying and it wasn't. People pushed every boundary and they thought if we could just get there, we'll be fine. And it turns out they weren't. And it left people just drier than they ever were before. And a few hippie kids that just pushed the boundaries everywhere met Jesus. And they realized that he's the one that satisfies that he's enough. And they were just passionate. And it just changed the landscape of church. You know, that movement was so strong. That movement died out. One of the reasons why it died out is because, and they'll tell you this, is that because it just, they just got comfortable. Things just got complacent. The churches got bigger. They got more money. They got more stuff. And they kind of settled down and just lost that fire. I don't know what's gonna happen next with the church. And it was a crazy year last year and still continuing to be so confusing, but here's, here's what I do know. I know what the gospel can do. That the Jesus movement, they had the same gospel that you have in your hands tonight. You know, every revival in history has the, had the same gospel that you have, that we all have tonight. They had the same gospel, the same message, but do we have the same response to it that they did? Are we willing to just surrender our lives? That's the question. I'm asking that question of me. And I, I just, I so, Lord, help us, help me. I wanna, so, I just wanna, I wanna see the vision of how good you are and how great you are. And I just, I wanna sell out for it because I just know it's the thing that the world needs most. It's the thing that you've created us to do. 
is to be your hands and feet. Will you pray with me? Father, um, we, um, we just respond tonight. So as we start this incredible letter, that's for us too. Lord, I just pray that as we dive into it, Lord, that we would see you. We would see you clearly. And it would just cause our hearts to just come alive. So Lord, I just pray for fresh life to just be deposited in us tonight. In Jesus' name. Can we stand to our feet? Because I do want us to respond. And I'm actually gonna pray in one other way. I just really feel like, if you're here tonight and you, you feel like, Remember that last point I said, I just want the book of Colossians just to give fresh life. I just wonder, there might be some of us here tonight that I just don't want you to leave church tonight without just having just a, without an opportunity just to have that fresh life, just fill your spirit again. Maybe you just feel, you came in feeling really dry and you just need just, you need to just hear Jesus whisper to you, I love you, I'm with you. I'm never gonna leave you. My spirit is in you. You just need that. If you're feeling dry tonight, I'm just gonna pray. I'm gonna pray for us. And, and, if, and if, you feel, if you feel like that's you, then would you just put your hands out right here? This is just like a, a posture of saying like, Lord, I'm, that's me. Lord, I'm receiving. I need fresh life. I'm just gonna pray for you. If that's somebody, you just need fresh life tonight. Put your hands out in front of you. And Father, will we pray to you tonight. Lord, we've got our hands out in front of us and we're saying, Lord, would you fill us with your life? Would you fill us with your joy? Would you fill us with your peace? Lord, would you convict us of sin so that we, aren't, so we don't settle for, for lesser things? Lord, we want to follow you. We want to sell out our lives. We want to surrender everything. And so, Lord, with these hands that are out, Lord, we, we, sometimes we just get so exhausted because we've let legalism creep in. We've, we've let vague spirituality creep in. We've, we just have drifted sometimes and we don't even notice it. And so, Lord, I pray our eyes are looking back to the beach, looking to you. Would you anchor us again in your truth? Would you anchor us again in your gospel? And Lord, would you give us fresh life and fresh vision for who we are and what you've designed for us to do in the world? Lord, I pray that you would just, Holy Spirit, fill us right now all across this room. Just fresh life, fresh life, fresh life, fresh life. Amen. And we're going to sing this one last song. And as we do, there's communion on either side. I just want to create space, just however you need to respond tonight. Maybe you just need to do business with the Lord. Maybe you need to pray. Maybe something that I've said just sparked something. You need to rest on it for a moment. Um, maybe you need to come up and get prayer. Maybe there's something rattling around and you just know you can't do it alone. There's going to be a few people over here that you can trust. They'll just love to pray with you. Um, as we continue to sing, uh, you can come on up on either side. There's communion. It represents Christ's blood that was poured out for us, his body that was broken for us. It's a meal that the church has come to over and over again for centuries, and we get to do it again tonight. Would you come to the table? Would you let his forgiveness wash over you? Would you let his peace rule and reign in your heart? And would you let communion fill you with life so that we could be sent out into the world as peacekeepers and reconcilers? Amen. Let's sing together. Just respond however you need to tonight.